Hey, my name is Jessica Jolly, and I own Yoga Landing in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and welcome to the Renaissance Live. Welcome to the Renaissance Life, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of creativity, mastery, and a meaningful life. I am your podcaster in crime, Josh Wagner. I don't really know what that means. The the crime bit, but the not my name. I know what my name means. This is another smashing episode of the Renaissance Life. My guest today is Jessica Jolly, the owner of Yoga Landing. Yoga Landing is a boutique, a yoga studio here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I had a fantastic time talking to Jessica. She's so fun and insightful. We get into a lot of things. We could talk about yoga, obviously, but we also talk about teaching and communication and leadership and building a business while also being a full-time mom and full-time practitioner of yoga. There's a little bit here for everyone. So if you're yoga curious, been practicing for a while, or you are interested in starting your own company, then definitely give this episode a listen. I got to get a new mic stand. Mine is driving me insane. My, <laughs> it just keeps falling. Uh, okay, before we get going. Okay, it was gone for a minute. Now I'm back now. Okay, before we get going, this podcast is brought to you by you guys. So a few ways you can support the show. Number one, the free way you can support the show is by going to iTunes and leaving a review. That way I can improve the show and continue to have great conversations and get great guests. And you can also subscribe to your podcast player of choice. That's also a a great free way to support the show. Number two, you can become a patron. I just set up a new Patreon page, patreon.com slash renlife, R-E-N-L-I-F-E. By becoming a patron, not only do you support the show, you also get a little bit of little bit of sprinkle of a little bit of value. I'm still working on how to make it even more and more beneficial to become a patron. But the two, and well, side note, if you have some ideas, let me know. Just email me, josh at renaissancelife.com. But there are two main value ads right now. Number one is a downloadable action guide based around each episode. So think of it like a compressed, insightful guide, challenges and actions you can do based around actions you can do suggested by the guest and past guests as a way to improve your life and really absorb the insights from each episode and test them in your own life. Uh, that's, that's value add number one. Value add number two is an advanced guest list, an exclusive Q&A. So this is a way to see what guests are coming up and then also post questions that you want me to ask the guests. So those are the two main value adds becoming a patron. So definitely check that out, patreon.com slash renlife. You can also go to renaissancelife.com slash Patreon, but all this will be in the show notes. You can just click, click, boom, boom and check it out. Last last way you can support the show is to subscribe to my newsletters. I have a few. <laughs> I keep thinking of more to add to, but I have a few uh, considerations, practices, and bookaholics. Considerations, practices, and bookaholics. You can go to renaissancelife.com newsletters to check that out, and also links will be in the show notes too. 
So yeah. Anyway, enough enough of me spilling my enough of me hawking my my wares, my produce. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thank you for listening. What was the last movie you've watched? Oh, man. Honestly, (laughs) the last movie that I watched was a documentary on Alaskan grizzly bears. Oh, interesting. And it was was incredible. It was so fascinating. And I went and talked to one of my classes about some of the things that I saw and tried to wrap it into metaphor through the class. And I remember thinking at the very end, I wonder if this clicked with anybody. And then at the end of class, two of my students sat up and said, I have actually been where you're talking about. And it was, it was just really awesome and special. That just happened last week. Oh, that's cool. Do you remember the, the metaphor? The metaphor? Well, I had a few different ones that I wrapped in, but, um, really, Really, the one that I was uh, talking about at the end was uh, the grizzly bear's life is incredibly difficult. And to me, I'm amazed that we have so many remaining and and how important it is that that nature uh, doesn't miss a beat. Because if it does, they're certainly not going to have their food source. So it's kind of setting the stage with that. And then finally talked about at the end how the bear's first were very individual in trying to get their food source. But at the end, when they made it to the top peaks in what were called the golden pools of salmon, they all became this sweet community because there was just so Mm. much abundance. So it was a metaphor of what we've been through this year and everybody kind of drawing back, being very individualized and looking at life many of us through a survival lens, but coming, you know, through these different terrains, some very difficult, some with ease, and that we're, in my belief, eventually going to move back into a place of community where we can all get along and help and share and have more abundance. So that Uh, was, that was the metaphor. Thank you. That's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the Renaissance. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Would you mind giving a brief introduction for people who might not be familiar with you and your work? Sure. So my name is Jessica Jolly. I was just saying to someone that I will be 44 years old this year, and I have been practicing yoga since I was 18. I learned from my mother's older sister after a very severe back injury that was going to head me into spine surgery. But I reached out to her instead and asked her to um, start teaching me. At that time, what I thought yoga was were were stretches and postures. I just didn't really know that there was more to it. But indeed, she did teach me, and I was able to recover. And I haven't ever had to have surgery from all those back injuries this many years later. And it's just been a continual unfolding of philosophy and anatomy and learning a different language and traveling to different cultures and learning a healthier lifestyle and moving into yoga from like an emotional and mental health 
perspective. So I've, I've just, I continually fall in love with the practice for, for all of the many reasons that people do yoga. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you don't mind talking about it, when you had your back injury, what was mm-hmm. the mindset coming into wanting to reach out and ask about yoga? I was, I'm very fortunate that my parents really have always come from the perspective that if you can heal yourself from exercise or food or a particular mindset, really try to go a, a natural path as much as possible. If that doesn't work, go more of a medical route, but try your best to keep yourself as healthy as possible naturally first and then do what you need to after that if that doesn't work so so I had a foundation laid for me from my parents which I I realized early on that was pretty rare I think especially you know like in the 70s and early 80s so so that was fortunate so when that happened to me I was I was in so much pain I was in college I was in so much pain just started and I couldn't I would, my back would get locked up as though I was, you know, like an 85 year old little woman and I couldn't straighten up and I couldn't bend over. It was such excruciating pain. And so I thought I'm going to call Aunt Susan and get her to teach me yoga and see if that will work. And that was the start of me learning yoga and it worked. Besides your parents and Susan, who else has influenced you over the years? Everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Seriously. I think every person I come in contact with influences me in some way, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I did go to school. My undergraduate degree is in political communication. My master's degree is in counseling. And I was a a full-time counselor and then eventually a high school guidance counselor or school counselor, more correctly said. And I did that for quite a few years. I actually have tenure in Hamilton County Schools in Chattanooga. That whole time, though, I was practicing yoga. And never did I think this is what I would end up doing. I'd actually taken a break from teaching yoga one or two days a week and then Every class I took, the teacher, this is way before there was a lot of, there were a lot of yoga studios in our city. And every time I took a class, the teacher would say, now I can tell you've been doing yoga and I'm looking for a sub. So I kept saying, yes, I'll sub for you. And then before I knew it, I ended up having a lot of classes and then an opportunity arose to start, to start teaching full time and open a studio. And so I jumped and I took it and left my school counseling position. Man, I have, I have so many questions. I imagine that counseling and yoga mix really well, particularly on the teaching front. They're such a beautiful combo. How, how have you integrated your counseling knowledge, if you will, into your practice? Well, I think when I started my master's in counseling, what I learned about myself more than anything, is that I was not a good listener. And I'm very much an introvert. I'm very outgoing. But I learned that I was not a good listener and that if I was going to really help people, I needed to become a good listener. Mm. And so I'm so grateful for that program because it taught me that skill. 
and to not only listen just to collect data, but to really like connect with people and try to sympathize or empathize with them. And that skill has, has been so valuable for me as a teacher so that I can really observe my students and listen to them and try to understand them so that I can help them. And then it's also been my focus as a teacher to help try to teach students to listen to themselves. Mm. That's good. Do you remember your first uh, yoga teaching uh, class? Of course. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes. It, it, it's, I think it's humorous. It's, so I wasn't even finished with the first training program I'd gone through, and I was asked to teach. And I lived in Banner Elk, North Carolina. I went to Appalachian State University in Boone. And it was just a, like a little, little spa, and it had like a little yoga room. And so I went and I must have taken like 10 pages of notebook paper, notes. I mean, every word, every cue, every little bit I could possibly write down. I was so nervous. And then one student walked in and it happened to be my boss at the time (laughs) from a different place. She had no idea it was going to be me. I had no idea it was going to be her. And what was interesting is that she, with one of her hands, she was only able um, really to put pressure on like three of her fingers. She had had an accident with one of her hands. So my whole class was thrown out the window because she couldn't put pressure on her hands. So there goes downward facing dog or even cat cows that Mm -hmm. I was prepared to teach. And so I just had to scrap it and teach her how to breathe and go with my gut on what I knew of her and what I thought she would need and like the most. So that was my first experience. I love that you adapted to what was needed. For certain. Yeah. Um, So for uh, listeners who are new to yoga, would you mind giving a brief description of the, the various types of practices? Sure. So my husband is a great musician and I'll often tell his friends that have never done yoga. I just told some over Labor Day weekend that yoga is as diverse as different genres of music. So yeah. And, and really I I brought this up in class this week too. I I played an old U2 song from the Joshua tree. I think it was from the Joshua tree. I know. One Tree Hill, I think that was from Joshua Tree. Might have been Rattling Hum. But one time I heard The Edge from U2 being interviewed, and they were asking him, you know, what is your life like? What are your, you know, your routine? What is your routine like? What helps you to be such a great musician? And he said, um, well, I practice yogas. And he said plural mm. with an S at the end. And he was the first person I'd actually heard refer to yoga as yogas and they were the interviewer was confused as well and and he said oh there are many different types of yogas there's yogas and I've practiced different types so that really settled deep within in my soul I just loved sharing that it can be so different and there's just so many different paths and avenues for people based upon what they're looking for and so Like within my studio now, we offer six 
different types of yoga, and they are as diverse from one another as you would find classical to reggae. Okay. Very different, very different and beyond. Would you mind talking a little bit about them and maybe the benefits of each? Sure, sure. So one type of yoga that we teach is called yin yoga. And yin yoga actually originates from China instead of India. And its roots was, is from the Taoist tradition. And that yoga is very meditative, very calming. And you go into postures where you try to relax into them, but you also try to uh, search out your edges of flexibility or range of mobility in like a very passive way. And then it's quiet and you hold those poses anywhere from two minutes to 10 minutes. So that's one of uh, my favorite types of yoga that I practice and teach. And people come to that, that type for many different reasons. And then there's another traditional type of yoga that does stem from India, and that's vinyasa yoga. And um, the grandfather of yoga, if you will, within our time, his name was Krishnamacharya, and he's kind of the root of vinyasa yoga. And that's where you link movement and breath, sometimes one movement and one breath, and it's kind of like a tai chi dance, if you will, through sequencing. We also hold postures up to five or 10 breaths in that type of practice. And we also do some meditative openings and closings in vinyasa. Um, And that's all levels. That can be someone that's brand new all the way to someone that you would think, wow, are they in Cirque du Soleil? Like, what do they do? Wow. (laughs) You know, so that's a range, you know, that can really meet a lot of different people's um, abilities when they start. And we teach another style called, called Ashtanga yoga, and that's also a traditional style of yoga out of India that was also taught by Krishnamacharya uh, before he became fully a vinyasa practitioner and teacher. And the I guess the teacher of our time of Ashtanga yoga was, I would say, within the world of yoga, he was my most influential teacher and he really, I think, changed the, the uh, course of my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for, misinterpretations of yoga. Mm-hmm. Like for me, for example, I, wh- what I didn't, I've, before I started practicing yoga, what I didn't realize was yoga meets you where you are. Right. And your level of expertise, for lack right. of a better word. Right. Do you... Is there any other misinterpretations that you've you can think of? Oh God, there's so many. <laughs> there are so many. I think another one is like flexibility. Oh right, yeah. Yeah. I've had so many people over the years say, "Well, I'm not flexible, so I can't do yoga," and, and I just always say, "Well, that would that's one of the reasons that you would want to try it is right. is you know to really try to." free your body from constrictions that maybe are causing pain or injury. That would be one of, one of the main reasons that people are drawn to yoga. But I do think because yoga has become so much 
uh, more widely practiced and more popular, and it's definitely in the mainstream now. I think people know that you can gain flexibility. I think a lot of people realize you can gain strength and balance. I think that more people are awakening to how important meditation is and relaxation is a definite necessity and globally throughout. And I think that people are realizing they can use yoga as a tool for their mental health and their emotional health. I read online, I think it was like a bio somewhere that you call yourself a yoga universalist. Mm-hmm. Would you mind just talking about that? Sure. So, so a lot of the times when people will start yoga and they'll start trying a lot of different types of yoga, they'll tend to align with one type and that's just what they focus on and that's what they do. Really good examples of that sometimes there's a style called Bikram yoga and people will start doing Bikram yoga and that's all they, that's the type they do. That often happens in Ashtanga yoga as well, where they'll align and that's the type of yoga they do. That happens a lot in power yoga. People will only do power yoga. And I call myself a yoga universalist because that has not happened for me. I've had stretches where I align with one type for a long time, but for my unique personality and the energy that I think I have um, to give towards a yoga practice and seeking meditation just as much as physicality. I've never limited myself to one type of yoga. I like personally doing three different types. I mix them up every week. It's kind of like cross training, I guess, in yoga. And that's worked for me individually. And then the other reason that I, I say that is because I think it's really important for people to realize that if they try a type of yoga that they don't connect with, that's not the only way. And they should keep looking until they find the right connection or many different forms that connect with them. And then I also think I call myself that because it's important to not be dogmatic Mm. about one yoga is better than another yoga. I think all yogas are great, and it just depends on you and what you're looking for and where you are at that time in your life. Yeah. You, you mentioned that it's a, obviously like a physical activity, but I'm curious your thoughts on the mental, mm-hmm. uh, emotional, spiritual mm-hmm. aspects. Mm-hmm. For me, the common link through every type of yoga I practice is the breathing practice. And there are many different types of breath practices that you can do in yoga, but there is one that is considered the most widely used breath, and you've probably heard of it, and it's called ujjayi breath. And when you translate ujjayi from the language Sanskrita into English, it means um, victorious breathing. And basically, you're, you're focusing on inhaling calm and steady, And then your exhale is also calm and steady, and it has the same duration. The inhale and the exhale have the same length, and they also have the same quality so that they can become very balanced. And it's very, it's often misunderstood that that ujjayi breath can fire you up. In all actuality, it does the very opposite. It actually calms you down Mm. when you start calming down the body, 
with your nervous system, that's when you can actually start moving and really start having some internal, um, sometimes I'll have like, I'll just kind of look into what I'm thinking about, what's going on in my mind. Sometimes I'll pose like big life inquiries to myself once I know I'm in that state of calm and then I'll keep going through my practice and when I make my way eventually to relaxation or or meditation I'll re-ask those inquiries and try to self-generate answers for myself for how I want to pursue forward with whatever it is that I'm making a decision about. and But I like to be in that calm state. And if I'm not sure intuitively about whatever it is I'm thinking about, I'll go back to that over and over and over in like a series of practices. And it might even stretch out for a month or a year. Might not be the same thing every day, but things I might come back to until I'm sure intuitively, like this is, this is the choice I'm going to make. I'm going to move forward. But I like to make big choices at the end of yoga practices instead of just being out and being a normal person, you know, TikToking in your mind and um, <laughs> not being dropped yeah. within and connected to your gut, you know? Before making a decision or a big decision, you try to get into that calm state. That calm state where, where I'm making my mind up based upon like my gut voice more than I am like my, my brain, if you will. So one thing I will teach in my teacher trainings that a lot of people are not aware of is that we actually have, actually have like a brain, if you will, in our stomach, not only in, in our head. And it's not the exact same, but it's called the intuitive brain. And I'll never forget the first time that I taught that in a teacher training. It was probably like seven years ago or something. And one of my students had just moved here from Spain and she moved here because she was getting married and her husband was an MD in residency. I had just taught that. And so I let them break for lunch and she came back in and she told the whole class, she said, I would like for everyone to know she is not crazy. It is true. We have a brain in our stomach. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I, I called my husband. He said, it's true. And she said, I can't believe you haven't ever told me this. And She's very much into food and lifestyle, this, this woman. And she couldn't believe that he had never told her that. And it's very interesting. I, you know, with most general MDs, they spend three days, you know, in their whole training on nutrition around food to become a doctor. So, I mean, that would make sense that they wouldn't put a lot of emphasis on that yeah. gut brain. <laughs> three days is not a That's lot. not enough. It's not yeah. enough. I guess that's what, not, not I guess, I'm very clearly looking for that voice. And the best way I can describe that voice is how people will often say, if I only would have listened to myself, like mm. when they make a mistake, if they, when we say, if I only would have listened to myself, that's the gut brain that was telling them do this or don't do that. But then their brain, the other brain, you know, talks them out of it, but they knew deep in their gut, they should have listened. That's, that's the voice I'm listening to that helps me to make my decisions. But I have to practice to get to that voice. Yeah, it's easy to listen to yourself after the fact. Totally. Do you have any other advice around getting better at listening to yourself in the moment? I think that that voice develops 
at least within me, I'll only speak from my own experience. I think that voice, the more that we listen to it and trust it and realize it's like a deep instinct that's there to help us, I call it our soul voice. Sometimes I'll say gut instinct, but often I'll say it's like our soul voice talking to us. I think it develops and it gets clearer and sharper and a little louder even. If you were starting today in yoga, where where would you start or where would you recommend someone start? If I was starting today, it absolutely depends on each individual person. Right. It really does. Say someone who, maybe like two scenarios, someone who has some type of uh, muscle injury and then someone who is just curious about it. Well, someone with a muscle injury, you would want to start yoga somewhere where you could walk up to the instructor or whoever was whoever you met when you went to go take a yoga class and you would need to feel very comfortable when you talk to them and tell them specifically this is what is going on with me this is what my aim is what do you recommend and if they're able to steer you in the right direction and then you experience whatever type of yoga that is or class and your your after effects that day and the next day and the next day are positive, then you're really fortunate and you've probably found you know a good fit. But it doesn't always happen like that. A lot of times people will just dive into whatever is available because they don't realize that there are yogas, plural, and they don't know that they should really look around and figure mm-hmm. out what could be best. I know that financially private the sessions for people recovering with injuries is out of reach a lot. So that isn't always the best. But if that's possible to get one-on-one, I mean, that, that would definitely be a, a great route to take. And then, but if, that, if that's out of reach, you would really just want to start with something gentle. Mm-hmm. If you're recovering from an injury, just to make sure that um, going back to what you said at the very beginning, yoga meets you where you are and you don't have to fit into some kind of different idea. Right. Like so as long as, you know, they can start gentle and then just kind of take one day at a time and see, well, was that okay? Maybe I might do a little bit more or no, I need to do less. And then it would just be one piece at a time like that. If you were brand new and you were curious and you weren't coming in with any existing injuries, that's so in our, in our studio, it's absolutely wild that we do this. And a lot of people, I don't think they realize why we do it, but your question is exactly why we do it. We let people come and they do an investment of $10. And then we let them literally take free yoga for 10 days consecutive. And it's so that they can explore all the different types and try to figure out like, oh, this is not it, or this is it, or maybe I might try this one again. And that's the reason we do it. That's great. Hands-on practice. Yeah. How do you, how do you keep up your practice consistently? Or put another way, maybe somebody has fallen off the bandwagon, so to speak, and they want to get back in, but they can't quite jump back in for whatever reason. You just don't give yourself an out. I, I, I mean, I, 
Like for me, I had a student say a few months ago, she said, I'll never forget Jessica saying that her yoga practice is like brushing your teeth. And it's just, this is just something that I do because I know that it makes me, it makes me a better mom now. I know that it makes me a better wife. It makes me a better daughter and sister and friend. It makes me a more confident teacher. You know, it just makes me a better person. It just calms me down. It gets me out of, I mean, it, it helps me with my stress, keeps me healthy so, you know, that I feel good. I'm happier. So I just, I, re- I don't give myself an out. And that seems, that seems a little intense, but it's, it's not because... When I say I don't give myself an out, that doesn't mean that I'm going to do six days a week of physically intense yoga. But right. What, right. But what that does mean is I am going to show up a, minim, a minimum of one hour, four days a week, for sure, four days a week. And that might be gentle all week long. It could be a mix of some strenuous, some not. And then that fifth day, I'm either doing one more gentle class or I'm in nature somewhere because I consider that a yoga, walking in nature for sure. And then I always take one day off at least, sometimes two days off now. I didn't used to. I used to be six days a week pretty solid. But now I take you know one day off always, sometimes two days off a week. It sounds like, not to summarize, but if I'm just to clarify, it sounds like what you're saying is to show up. Show up. Yeah. Every, oh, that's the hardest part. And that's the other reason that I'm not, we're not strict with people that are running late because getting to a class, I mean, it's so hard. It's so hard. And, you know, everybody's life is full of challenges. And if they get there, man, they're like, check, they've done it. The rest is, is pretty easy. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's true. How do you how do you go about preventing injury or preventing injuring yourself while practicing? I listen to myself, and if I have, uh, so there's all different types of uh, body types that come to yoga once you start practicing yoga a lot. And what I mean by that is, uh, people start to realize that they have different strengths and areas for growth. And one of my strengths has always been that I can balance really well, not only on my feet, but on my hands. It's just kind of been like a little bit easier for me to do that. Whereas back bending, holy moly, like, oh, my spine is so tight and it's really hard for me to do back bends. Um, But those are the areas that I've... Later in my, like in the past 10 years, I've gravitated towards because every time I start kind of working within the areas of kind of opening up my shoulders and my chest, I'll I'll have more than like a physical release. I'll often have emotional releases and that might be, you know, it's the whole gamut. It could be forgiving someone. It could be me not being so hard on myself about something I did, you know, three years ago. It could be uh, releasing some anger. 
It could be crying, you know, over heartbreak from last year. What you know, whatever it is. And but sometimes I really crave those emotional growths a little too much. And so I'll push in those those back bends too much. And so then the after effects are in my low back, which is where I started the practice from healing that. And I think it's just like old injury kind of rearing its head. But it's it's also a teacher to me saying, yeah, and you're overdoing it. And you need to chill out. And you're not going to get to the finish line ever. It's just one little piece at a time. And so it, it's like you school yourself, if you will. And then, honestly, even though this is, I think this is your, like, 22 for me, nonstop practice, and I still, though, I, right now, we're, like, going into year eight. I think we're right in year eight of Yoga Landing, and I had another studio before this where I was only there for two years. This year, this group of teachers that I, that I practice with, these are some of the most incredibly committed yoga practitioners and teachers that are really like they're they're there's a depth to them and and a an ability in them to be able to really look at themselves and grow and also they're able to see within their students to grow so i practice with teachers in-house four days a week because i like for them you know to notice things that i might be doing that i don't know that i'm doing you know, we help each other out in that way. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. That's good feedback and accountability. Yeah. I think it's dangerous, especially if you're newer to do yoga to someone online that can't really see you or give you suggestions. I think we end up getting a lot of injured students that come to the studio because they've gotten injuries from doing that, Hmm. which is, I'm real old school on that in that I think you need a teacher there with you. You know, yeah, I try time. to I try to not let my uh, ego get in the way, um, yeah. but at the same time, challenge myself, but also not push myself. If that makes sense, absolutely. That you just summed it up in like three seconds. It took me like twenty minutes <laughs> oh, to no, say no, it. No, <laughs> no. There's a actually there's a few questions that Gabriella wanted me to ask you. Sure. Yeah. How do you think about balance between being a business owner? a yoga teacher, a mother, and a wife? It is hard. Oh my God, it's so hard. It's really hard. And truthfully, this is the deal. If I do not practice, it's just not good. It's just not good. (laughs) It's just not. It's like my son, my five-year-old, is um, he is just so incredible. He came in with his total own recipe, and he's really interested in a lot of things um, that I'm not as interested in. He's really into like arts and crafts, which I love and admire. And I just think it's magnificent. I love music as an art form. I love yoga as an art form. I love cooking as an art form, but I'm not into like the arts and crafts that he's into. And if I don't practice, my patience isn't there for him to support and encourage and like be present and spend time with him in those places. So, so that's like one example of the difference. The other pieces, when I don't practice, 
with my husband, I don't listen to him. Like when he'll be talking to me, I'll be in my own head. And I've noticed that's a difference. And then when I don't practice as a business owner, I can be very fiery behind the scenes, I think. And my expectations of people are tremendously high. And I can be impatient. And sometimes I can see my humanity coming in like, just, just not being like compassionate and understanding of differences and, and just being patient as a business owner, you know? Mm -hmm. So if I don't practice, I think it's impossible to do a good job juggling. If I do practice, I think I, I think I really do strike a pretty solid balance. I will say that COVID like many other people has actually been a great blessing for me. It's been a gift we closed for four months and we only did virtual. And I, I did that because I kept asking my team of teachers and staff and managers, like, are y'all ready? And they weren't ready. And then I asked them the next month, are you ready? And they weren't ready. And I asked them the next month and they weren't ready. And finally, after like three months, they were like, we think we're ready, the majority. And so I just like really took their, their lead and guidance because we were a team. And, but the gift of that time off was that I realized that I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss time with my little guy. Like I, I was missing some time with him, being too focused on the business and the studio and my practice. So, and the time of day that I practiced. And so I've made some big shifts to where I'm with him more mornings and I do a later practice and I cut it off much better so that I'm present with my husband at night. And that's fantastic. How, how do great. you, how are you thinking about that? And then also still trying to be productive and thinking about business. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm coming back to a balance question. <laughs> yeah. So there, there, there's a real truth in that. And, and I think the truth of the matter is anybody that has a small business, I'm assuming would agree with this. The first, I would say the first five years, it's like having a, a baby and you, you don't get a break really. You just really don't. And I think the if I did not genuinely love the practice of yoga and teaching yoga, there's no way I would have lasted. And so, but I think once I made it to that five-year mark, that whole first five years, I was so lucky in that I met like one of the most incredible people still to this day that had taken my classes and she asked if I needed any help with opening the new studio and I met with her and I was like, yes, this is going to be my partner, basically. And she became the manager. And after five years of us really being an incredible team, she ended up moving away, which I was asking her to partner with me and go in, you know, with me 50-50 on the studio because I just adored her and trusted her so much. And we worked so great together. But then their path, she and her husband's path took them uh, to a different place. So then it was, I'd kind of caught a little bit of like a, a wind, if you will, at that time. And then after she started to leave, things picked back up because it kind of fell back on me. And I was really looking for that, 
that other person to help me run things. I'm kind of like the front of the house person, if you will, and like a visionary in the back of the house and kind of like overseeing all details, but I'm not necessarily like, necessarily like the data person. I can do all those things, but it's not, it's not what I prefer to do. I think I have other strengths to utilize. And so a few different amazing women stepped into that role once that manager left and on their own accord, they realized like they wanted to um, shift gears. One moved into a totally different direction. The other um, is still with us and she's our creative director and also a phenomenal teacher. And she does our website and our uh, newsletter and she does social media for us and just an awesome teacher in person. She realized she didn't like being a manager per se of people and data. And then one of my uh, tra teacher trainees just kept showing up and just showing like such um, strength in that area of business and managing people. And, and so she's now our full-time manager in that regard. And she is absolutely phenomenal. And she's been running the studio now, not even a year, but ever since she stepped into that position, I have felt more relief than I have ever felt because she's just such a strong counterpart. I'm actually trying to get her to partner with me in another little side venture because I just believe in her so much and trust her. And I just think she's awesome. So truthfully, I think surrounding ourselves with people that are passionate about what they do and that are great about what they do and where they can make their own schedule, they can call their own shots, they're not being micromanaged. That has been a big part of my success is just being with the right people that are awesome. I love that. Yeah. Do you have any specific advice for women who are starting their own company? Make sure you're doing it because you have a true passion for whatever it is that you're doing. I would never recommend anyone to go into small business to do it for the, the reason of financial alone, unless they were like managing people's finances because they love it. Right. I just, I think life is way too short for people to compromise um, what they're doing with their lives if you're going the small business route, because you will have a baby and it's, <laughs> it's, it's nonstop. It's absolutely nonstop. And so if you didn't love it, it just, for me would make no sense. What advice would you give to someone who wants to be a yoga instructor? Practice a lot of yoga and make sure you love practicing yoga first because that is what informs your teaching. And try many different teachers' classes. Try many different types of yoga. Try many different places of yoga. Do your research and figure out that Different schools of yoga are very different schools of yoga, no different than like choosing a college. And one college might be strong in this area. Another college might be strong in another area. Some colleges are strong in all areas. And then figure out what aligns with your interests 
And you should actually go to the place where you're considering becoming a teacher to make sure that it clicks with you and to make sure that you feel comfortable and that you feel seen and not just like you're a number, but you're a person. And, and that group of teachers is going to invest in you to help you do your best with that training, whatever it is you want to do with it. And I, man, no one ever told me that. And I really wish they would have. I got very fortunate. I, I've loved all the trainings I've ever taken and learned a lot from all of them. But I think many of the trainings I did was before yoga became very, very, very popular. And I just would, if I was, could give advice to someone, I would say, make sure those trainings are quality and that they're not just curriculums that have been presented from someone who's been doing yoga for a very small time themselves. Right. right. You mentioned community earlier. How do you go about building and cultivating a thriving community around you? I think diversity is the key and trying to reach as many different types of people as you can, all different ages, background, socioeconomic, race, yoga and experience at all doing anything physical. So we have scholarship students. We have several community classes. We offer free classes often. We give scholarships for people that are coming out of drug and alcohol recovery. All of our teachers, each one of our teachers has been given um, the gift of, if there's anyone that they know that they would like to gift the practice of yoga to, they can have like a, a scholarship student that gets to come for free. And then we have, you know, all different options for people to come, whether they want to come once a month, once a week, etc. So I think just making it as accessible as possible Number one is, is the first thing we're trying to do. And then all the different types that we offer so that people can connect. That's another thing that we do. We give, I don't know how many thousands of dollars worth of free class passes and memberships. Basically, every nonprofit organization or auction that asks us to give them an item within our community or you know extended community, we say yes, and we always have. Because we want to support them and their mission, and we want to support anyone that needs that and can find their way to us. And we offer classes starting at 6 in the morning until 6 at night, seven days a week pretty much. We offer 100% trades for our teacher training program. I have four scholarship students every year and they will help us in whatever way they can within the yoga studio that works with their schedule and their life. And we just trade for it. And it's just, it's a beautiful barter system. That's I cool. love that. Yeah, I love it. I love that. And then it's, it's, I like to have my staff and teachers come from our training programs. And I didn't realize this when I first started doing trainings. I thought I would do one training just because a lot of my students said, will you please teach us to become teachers? And so I finally said, yes, I'll do that. And I thought I would do one, but I've ended up doing one every year since we've been open. And I like having my team built out of our training programs because they learn 
the philosophy of yoga and what we call the yoga sutras and a lot of those aphorisms, if you will, are, are, are it's old philosophy that's really based upon truth and integrity and being authentic. And, and so as they learn that, you know, that's the root of who we are as a community, they care more about being a positive part of, of everything we're doing. You know, it reminds me a little bit of SEALs, like the BUDS training stuff. I don't know uh, about that. You know, if you want to become a Navy SEAL, you have to oh. go into intense training. Not not in terms of the intensity that what reminds me of it, but it's a way to see that people actually care and they're in it for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. From a business perspective, how do you think about failure and setbacks? Or how, how do you handle failure and setbacks? Um, so I've got a perfect example. Two years ago, no, it was more than that. It was like two and a half years ago, I moved, in, I moved into the community of Signal Mountain. That's where my, my family lives. And there was an existing little yoga studio that was, it was a power yoga studio. And the first studio that I had that I was 50-50 partners with another gal, we were a combo of power yoga and some other types of yoga. But then when I went out on my own, I've never, I've never offered power yoga. It's really, power yoga is really different than the types of yoga that we offer. But she had a power yoga studio on Signal Mountain, and she, she decided that she was ready to, to pass it on to someone else for a, a variety of reasons. And I was, at first, she approached me, and I said, absolutely not. I'm not, I'm not interested in having multiple studios. I'm really about, you know, connection and having relationships with my students and that's the way all of our teachers are. I just had never envisioned myself of having more than one space. And so I resisted it and resisted it and resisted it. And then it was just, it finally was, became an opportunity where I thought, well, there wasn't much to lose. So I thought, well, I'm just going to try it. And maybe that will give our teachers more opportunities to teach. We can reach more students. I'll have more opportunity for my graduates to have spots to teach. So it was just kind of like, a, I'm going to do this for the people. And so I, I took over a second location, and we were there for like a year and a half. And after about a year, we had connected with so many people, and it was wonderful. And we were kind of, I guess, trying to bring Yoga Landing, that's the name of my studio, into an existing studio and really trying to kind of merge this personality of the two, if you will. And I, talking about losing balance of motherhood and uh, business and practice and being a wife, holy moly, I, I was exhausted. And I was, I just, I was coming to an end. And my husband finally was like, you've got to let it go. He was like, it's successful, and it could make it if you kept going, but you you got to let something go because you're becoming unhappy. And so I guess that was my first experience with 
having like a yoga space that I felt like I failed, like no one else failed, but I felt like I failed when I like let all those people down that they didn't have that, that easy access right there in their community. And I held on to it even for like, that was like, I guess, almost a year and I held on to it for another half a year thinking maybe I can make it work, maybe it can work. And then I just realized I can't, I couldn't do it because of the quality I wanted to put into both spaces. I was split in half, I felt like. And so, and my family was being neglected and I was drained. So I just decided I got, I've got to let it go and I did. And so I felt like at first I failed all of those students and those teachers and that staff that was there. A lot of them were at both places, but not everybody. And, but then I realized down the road that I gave it my very best and I gave that studio another year and a half that those folks wouldn't have gotten. And I introduced some new people and helped a lot of people. And a lot of people have now started practicing in our downtown location since we closed that space. I tried to, I tried to basically give that space to some of the most beloved teachers there. I literally was trying to give it to them to just keep that space for our community up there to practice. But they just felt like if I couldn't make it work, they didn't feel like they could make it work better than what it had worked, I guess. Right. And so no one took it over and it, it just kind of closed up. So. It's good that you came to the realization that you needed to change something. For sure. Yeah. Well, I had students driving from downtown up the mountain to my classes (laughs) <laughs> and then, then like when half of my classes up on signal were from people from downtown, cause I wasn't teaching enough downtown. I was like, wait a minute. This is way, that was kind of like the big, like comment. I was like, okay, this is out of balance. So, so that was, I just had to do it. And yeah, it and takes people, a lot of strength. It did. And a lot of people were really upset because I didn't give them much of a warning, but then I think, Definitely anybody that has tried to juggle life balance with any type of work, whether you own your business or not, I mean, it's, it's hard enough. Just, I mean, life is hard enough no matter what. So that's all I'll say. I have a few general life questions. Are there any books that have impacted your life in a big way? Yes, for sure. So one is something that I referred to before, and it's called the Yoga Sutras. And mm-hmm. so basically what the Yoga Sutras are, it's a, it's a collection of like almost 200 aphorisms written in, most people call the language Sanskrit. It's like, it's, Sanskrit's arguably one of the oldest languages, but we actually, I just find this so fascinating, so I always say this when I have to say Sanskrit so that someone knows maybe what I'm talking about. We, we bring in a Sanskrit scholar who's not from the world of yoga, but instead is from the world of academia, and she has her doctorate. And one of the first things she taught us a few years ago was hate to break it to you, yoga world, but the name of that language is actually not Sanskrit. And if you translate it from its writings, the correct name of the language is Sanskrita. 
And I'll never forget Samskrita. And she was like, isn't it prettier? Don't you like the name? You know, so she has been our teacher of the language and translating a lot of yoga information, these older writings into English. And so the Yoga Sutras were really kind of uncovered about uh, 2,000 years ago is supposedly, supposedly when these writings came together. And, and, but then they, they were kind of dormant for like a long while. And then they, they kind of started coming back into vogue, if you will, like in the past 100 years. And so, so the, those aphorisms, basically, when you translate them, they talk about what, what the practice of yoga really is. And it's, it's really fascinating because most of them, when you translate them, talk about more of, it talks more about when you do drop into that calm space, calming of the mind, and being a witness consciousness where you're observing your thoughts or you're observing your perspectives on something or you're observing your feelings about something or you're getting in tune with that soul voice, as I mentioned before. And it suggests that that is actually the practice of yoga. And whatever kind of postures or physicality that you want to wrap around the person experiencing that on the deeper level, it doesn't really matter what you encase the person in and express whatever they express. That's not so much the point. The point is you do all that physicality to get yourself in a really healthy reality physically so that you can start doing what we call the deeper exploration of yoga, which is um, evolving into a better person through your, your, your thoughts and your views in which you see and interact in the world. Interesting. Related to what you said earlier, the history of language is, I, I find it fascinating, which is very nerdy of me to say, but still. <laughs> I love it too. Yeah, it's good stuff. Do you, do you read any fiction? Oh God, I should read so much more. I'm fixated on yoga. It's kind of like, it's interesting. I have an older brother. We were born, he was born three years and 33 minutes older than me. We're born on the same day. <laughs> and, and he is the same that I am in that he has like two passions. And, and you know, just, he is just really just, he's obsessed with a couple of things. And I'm really kind of the same way, but our parents um, always refer to themselves as hobby poor because they have so many vast interests. They're really interesting people. They just dabble in everything, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know why he and I turned out to be so focused on like a couple of, of areas. My mother-in-law, who I love dearly, says that I might be the most boring person she's ever met in her life because all I do is yoga. <laughs> <laughs> But I, she says it lovingly, but honestly, too. So, <laughs> If you had to choose something else, would, uh, or let me rephrase. If you could master three skills instantly, what would they be? And why would you oh. choose them? Okay, I know one right now because I've recently, I, I'm not proficient on the guitar. I'm a strummer. But lately, I've been 
I, I absolutely love the cello. Oh, okay. I, I love the sound of the cello and there, it's just, it resonates so deep. And I just, so recently I've thought if I could, if I could learn an instrument, I would, I would love to learn how to play the cello. So that is one thing I know quickly. That's fantastic. Are there any quotes or phrases that follow you or you think about often? They change. The most recent couple of quotes that actually my husband was telling me that he was he was really kind of in a funk with his career. And he started scrolling famous quotes from Abraham Lincoln. And one of them really moved him. And so he printed it out and he put it on his monitor. And the quote was, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Mm. And so when we opened back up this year, I, I really, that was just really current with him and with me. And I was bringing that to class, but then it started stirring me that quote, because obviously like there were a lot of things that many of us could not control. So we can try to create the future, but there's always going to be curveballs and things, you know, that we could never plan for. And so one of my students said, will you look up that quote for me? Because I want to get that just right. And she was going to give that to someone that she felt like needed to hear it. And it was so interesting because when I pulled it back up to look at it, there was another quote right underneath that one that was also famous by him. And this quote kind of answered the stirring for me. And it was, the best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time. Mm. And I was like, it answered. And I felt like, yes, if I look one day at a time, which is another premise of yoga, like we're supposed to be in the moment one day at a time, really focus as much as possible in that way, it, it was, it helped me to relax and realize this is manageable one day at a time. Those are great quotes. It reminds me of one of my favorites from Bruce Lee. It's, uh, to hell with circumstances. I create opportunities. Hell yes. Um, hell yes. I resonate <laughs> with that too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's great. Have you, have you, uh, shifted your perspective on anything recently? I'm sitting here like the thinker with my fingers, <laughs> with my fingers, like, um, closing the purse of my mouth because my, I'm just, I want to, you know, it might be the, something you mentioned earlier, the shift in how you focus your time between business and your family? That is for sure. Yes, and there's been something else. I mean, I think many people right now could bring up this year in particular, everything that's been going on in our country, everything that's been going on around the world. I think what has shifted for me is the realization that I have to focus on where I can help best and what my expertise is in that area. And that if, if at any time the, our community loses that, that depth 
if it kind of, if it loses its mission of service and helping and growing and improving one person at a time, one moment at a time, one opportunity, then I'm not going to do it anymore. And I would just go back home and do a home practice and just, I would just refocus. So it's strengthened, it's strengthened why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's also made me want to do more locally from, in terms of community gatherings in small group settings. It's made me want to bring a, a bigger opportunity of lifestyle focus in to what we're doing because I think it makes people healthier and happier. And I also have a personal mission to somehow one day get involved with bringing people in connection with nature more. That's really tied in with the Yoga Sutras, those old writings that, you know, being in nature is a part of the yoga lifestyle. You need that to like experience yoga fully. And so I think I'm trying to be as much of an environmentalist as I, as I can be. And I hope to one day try to work within a, the national park system and bring some kind of yoga into the park systems, like as awareness events. Yeah, I'd love a good uh, yoga forest practice. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. When you're alone, like in a car or shower or walking, what songs do you sing? Ooh. I love making um, set lists for my classes. Like I, I get really into them in that sometimes it will take me like a solid focused month to make one class playlist of music. That's fun. Yeah. And it's so, it's so funny because like growing up, I mean, I'm reminding you of my age, I'll be 44 this year. And so I grew up in the time of like making mixed tapes and then making mixed CDs and then making mixed, you know, all the different forums, iPods and stuff. And then, you know, oh, yeah. now all the Spotify's and all the stuff we have. And I can remember my parents, and this is such a lesson for me, I guess how we learn what we will, what we will do that our parents taught us and what we absolutely will not do. And this is one of the things I absolutely will try not to do. I would spend hours, hours and hours and hours making mixed tapes and mixed CDs for me and for my friends and for like the weekend out or events or whatever. And I loved doing it so much. And I can remember my parents saying, you're wasting your time. You don't need to do that. You need to focus on this. And lo and behold, did that love and, and I think a passion, it became an, a, an enormous part of my career. It's enormous pairing music with some of my classes. And, and so when I get really excited about one, I'll play it over and over and over and over and over just to make sure energetically, like it just has seamless transitions and it can be inspiring or it can be calming or whatever it is and, and, or interesting. And so those tend to be the songs that I'll sing. So right now, the set list that I played all week had that One Tree Hill song, that old U2 song. Mm -hmm. 
And then it had the other vocals in it was, I came across a song by the Lumineers and it's called The Salt and the Sea. And it's, I think it's about someone overcoming a form of addiction. And it just moved me. It's a beautiful song. I put that one in. And then, and then there's a couple in Nashville called the Hush Kids. And they just have just, oh, they had the most beautiful duo. It's a real Americana singer-songwriter, but it's very, it's got like a hint of pop, but not. It's like folk, but it's got a hint. And then it's, but but their lyrics tend to be really positive. And I think right now that's what a lot of people need to, to lift up. So, so I've been singing songs from those three. In one word, how would a best friend describe you? Okay, this is interesting uh, because my two dearest best friends, it, it can't be one word. Okay. I, it can't be one word, and I'll tell you why. This is interesting. I was just thinking about this the other day. My two best friends, one that became my best friend in junior high school, wow. and then I switched schools, and my other best friend, and this is still to this day, these are my two best friends, my other best friend I met in that high school that I went to. So then when I went to Appalachian State, my best friend from junior high school was there. So then I was back in school with her. Well, now what's interesting is that those two best friends dated the same guy. <laughs> and one of them dated this guy all the way through high school. And the other one dated this guy in college. <laughs> Neither one of them ended up marrying him. But they have never been good friends. And I don't think it was necessarily because they dated the same person. I don't think it was that. Right. They're, they're two totally different women and very different perspectives on most everything. So, but they're my best friends. And so I don't know what a best friend would say because I feel like I just have a lot of different types of people that I'm close to and that I connect with. I think what they would, they would say that I'm definitely driven. I think they would say that once you get to know me really, really well, I like to have fun. It's a good answer. I'm, dri- I'm driven, but I think once you really get to know me, I like to have fun. I like to laugh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, final final three questions. First, is there anyone you would recommend that I reach out to to interview next? Oh, man. Anyone come to mind? Well, I was going to say my husband because I think he's the most interesting person I've ever met in my life. He really is, truthfully. And he, he's um, just an exceptional person in what he's been through in his life. But beyond my husband being a best friend... I think another uh, really close friend in town that I think is a fascinating and interesting person person is Hillary Libby that owns Wildflower um, Tea Shop and Apothecary. I think right now, I think it would be really interesting to interview the mayor, to interview Mayor Burke and like see what his experience has been through this time. I think another person that would be an interesting person to interview in, in, in our town, in our city, 
would be Dustin Choate, who owns Tremont Tavern and 1885, and he's a part of the feed, and he's a part of the restaurant that I think he's a part with George, and the name of the restaurant is escaping my mind. But I think that, you know, he... His approach as a business owner has been very interesting. I look up to him as as a business leader for small businesses in our community because when he moved, he actually went to Appalachian State as well, or lived in Boone. I think he did go to Appalachian State. And when he moved to Chattanooga and opened Tremont Tavern, I'm an IPA fan so nice. that's why I've been there. And also we play bluegrass music and we used to play bluegrass um, there when it was kind of in its uh, first years at Tremont Tavern. He opened that spot um, and maybe 10 years before the non-smoking regulations were implemented into the city, he made that decision and he said, absolutely no smoking in my, in my tavern. And he was really the first person, I feel like, that started really bringing in a lot of the uh, options, the microbrewery options. I just think he was ahead of his time in our city, and I think he was kind of the, the first one to open a tavern that wasn't a brewery to make some big choices to be different. And he has been very, he's also talked about keeping his employees safe during this period of COVID. And I just think he's a great person. I think he's interesting. And I'd like to hear more about him from a business perspective. Cool. Yeah. These last two questions, they're uh, similar. What's one question you would recommend someone take away from our conversation and, and ask themselves? I Well, I want to compliment your fiance because <laughs> in, in answering that question, because she, even though I was only able to spend a little bit of time with her, gaining from her professional expertise, she really inspired me to look at myself and ask myself, am I being fully who I want to be right now? Mm. Or am I meeting some ideas of who I think other people think I am. So she really, she really, with some, you know, time with her helped me to really look at myself on deep levels to say, am I fully being me? And am I I being who I want to be? And am, am I expressing myself? on multiple levels as, as the person that I want to be. So I'm, I've been asking myself that pretty regularly since I had a little bit of time with her. And, and I think that question can show up on so many levels. So I think people right now should ask themselves, am I being fully who I want to be? That's great. That's a great question. And she's going to love to hear that. Uh, and then related to that. So what's a one action what's one action step you would want to recommend or challenge you would want to recommend? I think after someone asks themselves, am I fully being who I want to be? Whatever comes up for them where they realize this is, this is definitely 
like who I am and how I want to express who I am, whatever that piece is, that should be their action plan. Whether it's, you know, whatever it is, taking, taking a Tai Chi class. I had a student last night. He's a retired dentist in town. He came to one of my more challenging classes and he said, he said, I'm so glad to be back in the studio. And he said, Monday night, I took a hip hop class, oh, a, a hip hop dance class. And I would have never guessed he would have taken a hip hop dance class, but I was so proud of him. I was like, you go for it. You know, he, <laughs> he's living the way he wants to live and he's showing up and doing it. And he's not putting any kind of boundaries around who he's supposed to be. And I think that's awesome. And I think more of us should do that. I might have to go look into getting a cello. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Is there anything you want to plug or talk about? Well, of course I want to plug the yoga studio. So right. of course I do. So we're yogalanding.net, yogalanding.net. And we are like this little two-story green, like a, a really warm, friendly green. It looks like a condo, really. And we are right off Broad Street, right up, right when you go underneath the interstate, headed towards um, St. Elmo, but we're in the Southside District. And check out our website and check out our free introductory offer. And I just want to plug that we're really nice people. And we don't have a boutique. We don't have any mirrors in here. We want people to show up and totally be themselves. And we'll try to help you. And you can check it out and see if it's for you. And if not, you'll have a great time, hopefully, just trying it out. And maybe you might find that it is for you. And we can start building a relationship. So that's, that's it. And you also have a online subscription right for people who are not in the area yeah we do have an online subscription we have an online library and then we have virtual classes as well and I feel like we're kind of in the incubator of some really fun and bigger community offerings that I hope will start presenting themselves in the spring of next year so we're in the works of that so I just, I just want people to know that we're a really great community resource and a place for people to get connected in a safe space to just be yourself. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. again. Thank you so much, Josh. It was an honor. Thanks. Right. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jessica as much as I did. Quick reminder that everything that we talked about in the show will be in the show notes. So definitely check that out. Last thing, if you want to support the Renaissance, if you want to support what I do, you can financially support us by donating a buck or two at renaissancelife.com slash support. Or I just launched the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Ren Life, R-E-N-L-I-F-E. And you can find out more information there, including the perks that you'd get for becoming a member. For example, if you want to download the actionable guide from this episode, you can get that by becoming a patron. And if you do that, I am immensely grateful.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the Renaissance. Keep creating, keep pursuing, and until next time. Would you mind just throwing down a quick table beat if you, on your closest table or your mic or whatever you got? Sure. Did you hear that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Thanks. <laughs>